This episode could be triggering for sensitive listeners and contains mature content. It may not be suitable to all listeners. Should you need any emotional assistance, please see the show notes for telephone numbers that you can call. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by contributors such as the host, guests, bloggers, sponsors or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, company, individual or anyone or anything. It was not so much Marxist and Maoist as a cult of valor as a person. So he took what he thought suited him from that ideology as well as from other things to promote himself because he's basically a narcissistic psychopath really and just wants everybody to worship him and do as he says without question and he was obsessed about controlling other people. He loved violence and those totalitarian dictatorships and things. he really loved that because I think he wanted to be like that. He wanted to be like Stalin or Mao or Pol Pot where everybody just listens to him and if they don't then they, he can kill them without with impunity. This is Decoding Cults and I'm your host Palsy. You are listening to the Workers Institute Part 2. In today's episode, we are going to look at how the collective changed from a political group into a cult, and we will delve into the teachings. If you haven't listened to the first part, stop here and go and listen. That way, this part of the story will make more sense. In the last episode, we left off where in 1980, Shonda was admitted to hospital and had to remain there for a number of weeks. With Shonda out of the house, obviously Bala had some needs that he needed to have met. So, this is where he strikes up an affair with one of his most loyal followers, Sean Davies. Sean's mother had become worried as she had not heard from her daughter in years and just wanted to make sure she was okay. When she finally tracked her down and arrived at their doorstep, Sean simply said to her mother, Go away, I have got no mum. Her mum must have been heartbroken, having lost her husband and now being rejected by her daughter. I can't even begin to imagine her pain. I do sometimes wonder if Sean did have an affair as publicized or if she was just one of Bala's victims, but I digress. Sean became Bala's 2IC and also a strict enforcer of his rules. Speaking of rules, I'm going to move away from the history of the group a bit and talk to you about some of the beliefs that he had been teaching his followers to this point. One of his teachings that he continued 
was the imminent invasion by the communists of the British fascist state, which he would refer to as the BFS. But instead of putting a date to it, he just kept saying that it was going to happen any day. As I mentioned in the previous episode, it's typical of cult leaders to create a big threat which scares the followers into staying with them to stay safe, or in this case, be on the right side of the fight for communism. Furthermore, he stated that there were spies everywhere and the followers must thus speak as little as possible and communicate through notes. In his words, write everything down and KQ or keep quiet. Not only this, but they were to ensure that their handwriting was the exact same as Bala's. They were told that any other handwriting was, quote, a sign of revolt. And they were also told that if their writing was slanted backward in any way, it meant that they were as backwards as their handwriting. Cutting off communication between people is another way in which he controls his followers by ensuring that they don't speak to each other. Oh, and to ensure that they don't form close bonds, he would cultivate an environment of snitching. We know from Dr. Hassan's bite model, under information control, that spying on one another is one of the tools that these leaders use to control their followers. Mealtimes were also a strictly quiet affair. Mealtimes were the same time every day and were always prepared by the followers. Bala would be served first, of course, and then the rest of the followers. And they were supposed to sit down and eat in absolute silence. Everyone had to stand whenever he entered a room and you had to greet him each time you passed him in a corridor. One of his teachings that I just could not figure out was the banning of laughter. I can't wrap my head around why on earth he would banish laughing. Let me know if you have any thoughts or theories around this one. Something that struck me was that he would at times change one of his rules on a daily basis. Followers would be told to do one thing the one day, but then be rebuked the next day if they did the same thing. In my opinion, it's almost as if he either could not remember which rules he had put in place on any given day, or that he got a kick out of changing the rules in an effort to keep his followers on their toes. Then there were the lectures. All of the followers were subjected to daily lectures hosted by Bala. These lectures could go on for hours and the followers had to stand the entire time and were not allowed to break eye contact with him at any time. They were also given phrases they had to speak like AB is nature, nature is AB. AB's knowledge is the truth and the truth is AB's knowledge. At times they would only mouth AB is God, God is AB. These are examples of thought-stopping techniques used by cult leaders to control what their followers think. He took this a step further by claiming that all of their brains were dirty and they needed to wash them clean so that he could give them the right, pure thoughts. I mean, he's telling them that he is going to indoctrinate them. But by this time, they were so deep in it, I don't even think it registered. 
Bala told his followers that he was actually the secret ruler of the world and he would only be able to actually rule the world once the communist invasion had taken place. He would tell his followers that he was actually living in exile with just his few female acolytes, but that his new world was busy being built. He stated that at some point his covert leadership would become overt and he would then overthrow all of the governments and assume his rightful role as leader of the world. This would happen in Kerala, India, as this was where he was from and according to him, India was the center of everything. If you recall from the last episode, this of course happened to be the place where he was born. He also claimed that he was immortal. As an outsider, I was flabbergasted that they would believe this, as he was aging just the same as they were. But again, his indoctrination was so complete that they believed every word he said. So much so that they believed him when he said that they didn't need any medical or dental care. Their teeth would rot and fall out because when they turned a hundred years old, their teeth would miraculously grow back. I saw a documentary where one of the ex-followers believed this so much that even after she had left the group, she tried to convince a dentist that her teeth would eventually grow back despite his arguments to the contrary. As I mentioned earlier, he told his followers that they were not to go to the doctor. He claimed that the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK, actually stood for Never Help Self, and the abbreviation for Dr. DR actually meant Death Restorationist. He also had other terms like Chris Help, which he said stood for Continued Revolution in Stages and Heavenly Eternal Life Program. This guy loves his acronyms. And more of these will pop up as we continue in the story. In the book Cultish by Amanda Montal, she speaks to the fact that cult leaders often use everyday terms and change their meanings in such a way to further their agenda and back their own teachings up. He would claim that whenever a person got sick, it was because they were having impure thoughts towards him. And his cure for illness? Well, Firstly, you need to meditate and focus only on Bala, only on him. And if that didn't work, he would simply try to beat it out of you. Oh, and there were also compulsory afternoon naps, because according to Bala, this would keep you healthy. Now, some of you must have taken a bit of a pause here, because one of the followers was in fact a nurse and Shonda, his wife, was in hospital. Well, when followers were extremely ill, they would be allowed medical care. And as for Oka Eng, the nurse, well, it's my opinion that by this time, she was so indoctrinated that she would believe anything he said, despite knowing the opposite. We even saw this in my very first two episodes where we covered Seven Angels Ministries, where followers who were teachers would still take their children out of school for fear of Satan being in the educational system. Fear is a very powerful tool used by these leaders. 
Remember the last time I told you how his mother used to say that he had special powers? Well, by this point, he was running with that story. Bala had this idea which he called synchronization theory. He surmised that his entire existence correlated with important moments throughout history. He claimed that if anything significant happened, it had happened because of him. He claimed that whenever something big happened, like the death of a politician or a natural disaster, it needed to be written down because he had somehow caused it. The followers were also to celebrate two very important dates, the 16th of July, which was his birthday, and the 16th of October, which he claimed was the date that he was conceived. He would go on to prove that these dates were significant by claiming to be the cause in, or being involved in world events that happened in and on the 16th of July, like the Manhattan Project, where the USA successfully detonated the atomic bomb on 16 July 1945. May I just add here that Bala was only five years old at the time? I found a few other events that also happened on the 16th of July for which he may have claimed some hand in. In 1969, Apollo program, Apollo 11, the first mission to land astronauts on the moon, is launched from the Kennedy Space Center at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. In 1979, Iraqi President Ahmed Hassan al-Bakr resigns and is replaced by Saddam Hussein. In 1990, the Luzon earthquake strikes the Philippines with an intensity of 7.7. .7. In 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr., his wife Carolyn, and her sister Lauren die when the aircraft he is piloting crashes into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. In 2007, an earthquake of magnitude 6.8 and 6.6 .6 aftershocks occur off the Nigita coast of Japan, killing eight people, injuring at least 800 and damaging a nuclear power plant. The 16th of July and 16th of October would be great days of celebration. The house will be cleaned from top to bottom and the followers would spend a lot of time making special trinkets for Bala. They even prepared him a special Indian curry from his hometown of Kerala and Indian sweets. On the flip side, everyone else's birthday would be acknowledged but never celebrated. In my opinion, Bala probably didn't allow other birthday celebrations besides his own because he would not want the spotlight or attention on anyone but himself. Just a trigger warning, the next minute or so will include sexual abuse and rape, so Please skip over this if it'll be in any way uncomfortable or triggering for you. So back in 1980, while Shonda was still in hospital for a few weeks, and her sister was by her side all the time, Bala had started the affair with Sean. But it seems like this was not enough for him. Because soon after this, he started instructing the other followers to also perform sexual acts with him. He started off by making the women perform oral sex on him. He would then force them to swallow his ejaculate, stating, quote, This is the elixir of life. Ugh. 
If they in any way refused, he threatened to kill them. He would request more and more demeaning acts for these women, some of which included forcing them to lick his anus. And that eventually evolved into sexual intercourse and, in my opinion, as they could not really consent to this, it was rape. And all of this happened daily. Bala, being the controlling individual that he was, then had them draw up a rota with hourly slots so that he could basically have a rape schedule for these women. And to top it off, this rota was displayed on the wall so everyone could see. The rota included all of the chores that needed to be done by the various followers. Here we can see an example of a cult leader managing every single aspect, every minute of the follower's life in an effort to ensure that they don't have time to focus on anything else but what the leader has to say to them. Even when Shonda returned home from the hospital, the sexual abuse of the rest of the followers continued. Bala claimed that his physical love would cleanse his followers from their bourgeois culture and impure thoughts. We know that according to Dr. Hassan's bite model, under thought control, leaders often encourage the idea of good and proper thoughts. In early 1982, Aisha received a letter from her brother regarding his concerns about her being part of the Workers' Institute. Bala had read the letter and immediately claimed that he was a fascist agent. It was also in 1982 when Sean Davies fell pregnant. Now, remember, even though he was sexually abusing all of the women in the group, they may have actually started an affair. Bala didn't want anyone in the house to know about Sean's condition, so when she started to show, he told the followers that she was simply swelling up with gas. Now again, I'm not sure if O suspected anything, being a nurse, but I guess at this point they believe everything that Bala says without question, so I surmise that maybe not. Then, on the 7th of January 1983, Sean gave birth to a little girl who Bala named Prem Maupenduzi. He claimed that this meant love revolution. Prem means love in Hindi. I looked it up, it does. Maupenduzi was a combination of the words Mao, which we can all surmise was after his hero, and Maupenduzi, which is the Swahili word for revolution. She did start calling herself Rosie during her teenagers, but I'll be referring to her as Katie. I'll explain this later in her story. There was no real official record of Katie anywhere, and going forward, I'll be using quotes from the book that she wrote, The Girl in the Shadows, My Life in a Cult. I highly recommend that you guys read it. When Katie was born, Bala claimed that Sean had been impregnated by one of his mind control machines and that Katie was to be raised in a method he called Project Prem. He claimed that this would be the blueprint on how all children would be raised once he took over the world. I will be touching on aspects of neglect and violence towards a child in the next section, so if this is in any way triggering, please skip forward. 
Katie was told that both her parents had died. The followers were also told that she was not allowed any love, affection or physical contact. Not even when she was a tiny baby. I cannot even begin to imagine how that must have been for this tiny human to never have any true emotional connection to her mom. The only form of affection that she was allowed was from Bala himself. And this was few and far between. She would oftentimes be beaten by him. And when he was finished, he would tell her that, quote, the beatings were a sign of how much he cared. And that her bruises were, quote, marks of love. I just can't. And to top it off, he would also say that the beatings were called the good struggle, as he was battling against her internal negative forces to put her on the rightful push towards the ways of the new world or some, some, some. Bala would at times hit Katie so hard that his own hands got bruised, and in those cases he would blame her, saying, Look what you have done to my hands. She was also not immune to the culture of snitching, and whenever she would break a rule, one of the followers would immediately inform Bala. In my mind, the worst of all was that Sean, her own mother, was always particularly hard on Katie and would most frequently get her into trouble with Bala. Now, I'm not a mother, but I cannot imagine for a second that my mother would ever do anything like that. My mom is my fiercest protector. So I don't know if Sean was threatened by Katie because she was Bella's child, or maybe she thought that showing Katie even the slightest bit of kindness would give her secret away. I just don't know. Katie was to be supervised at all times, from bedtime right through to having the door guarded when she went to the bathroom. Katie was to interact with the outside world as little as possible in an effort to keep her what he deemed pure. Katie was also forbidden from giggling. She was told that she was not allowed near the windows because the BFS would see her. And she was told that the evil neighbors had sent their granddaughter to lure her away because they wanted to drink her blood and eat her in a satanic ritual sacrifice. Katie was terrified. We need to remember that she was just a small child and this home, these people and their beliefs was all she ever knew. So of course she believed everything Bala told her. How could she know any different? It's so sad. Katie was also dressed in boys clothing and her hair was kept short. She was almost never allowed outside of the house, and on those very rare occasions that she went to the backyard, the neighbors who happened to spot her were convinced that she was a boy. In early 1984, Denise escaped. I don't have any information on how she managed it, but after this happened, Bala would refer to her as Bad Dennis. He would later claim that he had kicked her out for going against him. He also claimed that she had died shortly after leaving. We know that cult leaders use this tactic of evil deadly outside world to keep their followers in line and in a way force them to stay within the group. 
as they fear that should they ever leave, they would come to terrible harm or could even die. On the 28th of January 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger tragically exploded 73 seconds after their launch from Cape Canaveral in Florida, and all seven of the astronauts on board lost their lives. Shortly after the explosion, the smoke formed a shape like the letter Y for a few seconds. Obviously, Bala claimed to have been the cause of this. He told his followers that the reason the smoke had formed the shape of a Y was because his followers were always whying him. So, asking him why. At the tender age of three, Katie was distraught at the fact that those innocent lives had been lost because they, Bala's followers, had in some way, shape or form gone against him. Katie was not allowed to go to school, so only education was provided by the woman in the house. She learned to read and write, but not much else except Bala's indoctrination. Once she could read and write, she was told to document everything about her day, but as her days were basically limited to what she could do within the confines of the house, she basically documented every single thing that Bala did. Anything of significance was to be written in what was described as communist red ink. This would later become invaluable information, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Katie was also taught that she was never to use the telephone. Well, actually all of the followers were told this, because if they did happen to use the phone, the fascist state would send deadly waves through the phones that will kill them. Now, just a reminder, Shonda and her sister Shoba are with Bala when all of this is happening. As Shoba was wheelchair bound, O was mostly tasked to take care of her. It seems like Bala would somehow convince Shonda to leave the house for long periods of time with her sister, even though she claims innocence. I just don't believe that she didn't know that what was going on under her own roof. But that's just my opinion. Her family would even come to visit, and when they did, the followers and Katie would have to leave the house for a few hours while they were there. We can see here again, Shonda was allowed contact with her family, but the followers had to cut all ties with theirs. This is the, often the case with cult leaders, where they make followers follow all these rules, but they don't adhere to the rules themselves. A quick trigger warning here. I'll be speaking about domestic violence, so please skip over the next few seconds if this will be in any way triggering to you. On the evening of the 23rd of April 1988, Leanne declared that she was leaving. Not like leaving the house, but leaving the group. I can just imagine the strength that it must have taken for her to say that after having been indoctrinated, beaten and raped for around 10 years. As you can imagine, Bala was having none of it. He first ordered her to sit down, and when she actually had the audacity to ignore this request, he ordered his other followers to hold her down. Once she had been pinned down to the ground, Bala climbed on top of her, and while claiming that she had been infected by the fascists, he repeatedly punched her in the face with both of his fists. 
Her face was so badly bruised that she had to take a few weeks leave from work. And then she became the focus of Bala's rage. If you're wondering why no one was stepping in to help Leanne, well, on the odd occasion where someone did try to intervene, not only would they also get beaten, but the original person's punishment would be even worse. To her credit, she did try to escape again on the 22nd of July 1988, and even got as far as Southampton. But having been with the group for so long, and having no support system in the outside world, she phoned the house and asked them to come fetch her. When she returned, she was shouted at by Bala and berated as a traitor by her fellow followers. I'm going to put another trigger warning in here. I will very briefly but graphically be quoting a reference to suicide. Bala would also use anything from his followers' past to belittle and rebuke them. In her book, Katie describes, quote, Though sometimes A.B. denounced the whole group, most attacks were sharply personal. He always seemed to know exactly how to turn the screw. Josie came from a wealthy family, so A.B. falsely condemned them as genocidal war criminals who'd profited from the blood of innocents in unjust wars and occupations. Sean's father had committed suicide when she was 17. She'd been the last person to speak to him, so Obi declared that she was the reason he'd blown his head off with a shotgun and maligned her too for the madness that surely now ran through her veins. With Aisha, he reminded her that deportation could be just a phone call away if she did not follow him properly. End quote. We know from Dr. Hassan's bite model that under emotional control, Cult leaders often promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness. Even though Sean was Bella's 2IC, Shonda was still his wife, and was always treated better than the rest. Sean would however go out of her way to be respectful to Shonda, and would try to please her in any way she could, but Shonda treated Sean very coldly. This doesn't really surprise me in the least especially since there were a bunch of women living in her house and one becomes pregnant with a child that looks very much like her husband's. Nah, I know I would not be happy about all of that. But then again, Bala must have had some kind of power over Shonda for her to agree to have the followers there in the first place. Anyway, those are just my thoughts. On the 18th of May, 1989... Leanne got up and went to work as she usually did, except that night she did not return. She finally got out. Bala told the group that she was dead. Katie was devastated. The group was slightly worried as one of the income flows had now been cut off. But Leanne must have realized this because just before the rent was due, she sent them a letter with a check for the rent. In our next episode, we will continue to look at the next few years of the group, focus some more on Katie's story, and then the ultimate end of this so-called movement. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and rate and review us. It will go a long way into improving the podcast and helping others find it. And also, 
please invite your friends and family to listen to. If you are listening on YouTube, please subscribe and like the video. You can also leave comments if you want. You can find us on Facebook and you can email us at decodingcults at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If there are any topics around the workings of cults which you would like further explanation on, or if there is a cult that you would like to hear about, email me or post it in the Facebook group. Remember to go and check out By Design Crafts SA and Endeavor AV and tell them that we sent you. This week I want to say Danyavad to my listeners in India. The amazing logo art was created by the tattoo artist Jock Jacobs. Thank you so much for listening.